It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Makai Becton, ladies and gentlemen, human beings that large should not run as fast as Makai Becton did. And if you like people just abusing other humans, the Makai Becton tape is for you. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Quick pass to Crowder trying to get him out of the space. Slopes a tackle, and there he goes. Crowder, it's a foot race, and Crowder is in there. A 69-yard touchdown. Takes a shot, hands Corey Davis wide open. Davis still going, and he's in for the touchdown. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's the q Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the playlikeajet.com digital studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at playlikeajet1. And it's time to talk statistical scouting reports for the Jets' 2021 draft class. And for that, of course, we bring in the man that we call the Chronicles of Nania, Mr. Michael Nania, the co-founder and resident stat geek over at JetsXFactor.com. Michael, what's going on, buddy? I'm doing good. I really enjoy this Jets draft class. Um, I'm a huge fan of the picks that they made and the approach that they had throughout the entire class. And just looking at the numbers um, for all these guys, there's there's a lot to love. Um, pretty much from top to bottom, there's all these picks. There are things to like from an analytical and statistical per- uh, perspective. So I always love that. That's right up my alley. So I'm I'm really enjoying this class right now. And obviously, the number one guy that you'd be enjoying is the most important member of this class, the number two overall pick, Zach Wilson, the quarterback from BYU. And when it comes to statistics, both box score scouting and with advanced metrics, Zach Wilson hits all the key numbers, doesn't he? Yeah, it's always important to try to look a little bit beyond the box score numbers because that it really is just surface level information to just look at the general stats and of course Wilson did produce at a high level in 2020 um 3600 yards 33 touchdowns three interceptions so the numbers um from a raw perspective were great but you always want to back that up in other ways whether it's the film the more contextualized numbers that are out there you want to find ways to make sure that's legitimate and for Wilson he does check all of those boxes obviously from a film perspective it's there we have a jets x factor at the like, countless hours of zach wilson film joe blewett has done multiple parts um and I, we've had i believe four different guys actually do film breakdowns on so we have so much on him with the film but then in terms of the advanced numbers too that backs up his box score number so he had the best passing grade at pro football focus of any fbs quarterback 95.5 um, his passing EPA, which is estimated points added, that um, accounts for stuff like down, distance, field position to get the true value of each play. Passing EPA, third best in the nation, plus 79.6. And his total QBR at ESPN, that was fourth. Um, and, and he and Mac Jones were the only quarterbacks that ranked top four in all those metrics. And Mac Jones obviously had a lot more support than Zach Wilson did. And Wilson did in his own right, which we'll talk about. But, I mean, Mac Jones had five top 40 picks in this year's draft on his offense in addition to himself um, between the offensive line and the skill positions which is absolutely incredible so um, Wilson and Mac Jones are the only guys who are in every single one of those three advanced categories to rank top four but Wilson of course uh, I think definitely offers more in terms of 
um, mobility and just athletic upside and versatility to his game. And he also comes from a team where he had a lot less talent around him than Jones did. Another thing Zach Wilson offers is three levels of passing excellence. Yeah, it's it's good to see for Zach Wilson that he he was effective at all three levels of the field. Um, there, it wasn't as if you know he was just a deep passer or he was just a quick game guy. He was doing it at every single level. Um, in the deep game, he was great, best passing grade of PFF, second best adjusted completion percentage in the nation. His intermediate game was great as well. Uh, he had the fourth best passing grade in the nation on those plays, tenth best adjusted completion percentage. And even in the short game, passes uh, – so intermediate is 10 to 19 yards downfield. Deep is 20-plus yards downfield. Short is 0 to 9 yards. Uh, so on short passes, sixth best passing grade at PFF in the nation. Adjusted completion percentage, 11th best. So all three levels in terms of depth, short, intermediate, deep. He was great in all three. Deep was his best, 20-plus um, yards downfield. That's where he was at his most effective and arguably the most effective of anybody in college football last season, but all three levels, he was elite. So that's a huge thing to have as you build your scheme around him to know that, you know, you can do what you want to do. And he's shown that he can be effective anywhere. Obviously there are particular ways you can mold to his skill set, but for the most part, he doesn't have a super defined set of strength and weaknesses where it's like, you have to avoid doing this because he just quite simply can't do it. Or you have to do this because he's so much better at that than everything else. He's shown that he can be great at all depths of the field. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Michael, two hallmarks of the Shanahan offense that Mike LaFleur is going to bring here to the New York Jets are play action passing and quick strikes. On play action passing, Zach Wilson was one of the most efficient in college football. Not the best at play fakes, but some people need to understand that you can still be good at play action passing without that. I'm sure they'll coach him up on that. It's something he needs to get better at, but a very good play action passer. And as far as quick passing, quick processing, if he wasn't the best, he was certainly right at the top. Yeah, and really as we go down the line here, we're just going to find out that when we break down specific aspects of the game, there's just very little that he struggled with this past season. And you could say anything you want about the competition that he was facing. And that's another thing we will talk about, but just specific aspects of the game. He was thriving everywhere. There was barely a weakness, but both of these areas, important parts of presumably the offensive jets will run play action. He threw 20 touchdowns and no picks in 2020. The 20 touchdowns was the most in the country. And it's not even as if he just relied on that. On non-play action passes, he had the best yards per attempt average in the nation at 10 yards per attempt. And I think that's important because, you know, you want him to be able to thrive off of play action, but at the same time, you don't want him to rely on that and just be a quarterback who's good off of play action because, you know, play action, if run well, makes it easier for the quarterback. If you have a good O-line, good run game, you're going to demand a lot of respect from the linebackers and you're going to suck them in and they're going to leave passes wide open. So you don't want a guy who's too reliant on that. And Wilson has shown that he's not. He's great with play action. He's great without it. Uh, and then quick passing, he's also pretty good at that. Obviously, he's best known for his outside-the-pocket stuff um, and his deep passes, but he can hit the quick stuff as well. So on passes thrown less than two and a half seconds after the snap, he threw for 15 touchdowns at one pick, fourth in the nation in yards per attempt with 9.4. So quick passing. Um, intermediate passing, play action, those three things 
should be a pretty big part of this offense, and he's great at all three of them. You mentioned the schedule, and I've said for a while that I think the schedule has been overplayed. I don't think that it's as bad as people are making it out to be, and I don't think it's as important because you can scout the traits. A back shoulder throw is a back shoulder throw. A tight window throw is a tight window throw. An off-platform throw is an off-platform throw, so on and so forth. You have a color-coded chart breaking down why I'm right, and I like that because I enjoy it when there's empirical evidence to show that I'm correct about something. Yeah, it's always, it's always good. I love my color-coded charts. It just makes it so easy to point out the facts and everything, support some arguments. But uh, So I decided to compare Wilson's 2020 schedule against Patrick Mahomes' 2016 schedule at Texas Tech. And the motivation for me behind that was I was just kind of thinking, you know, there are all these quarterbacks who come from the Big 12, which is, even though it's a Power 5 conference and there are successful programs there, successful well-known programs, Um, It's not a conference that's known for defense at all. So in terms of evaluating quarterbacks, yeah, those guys may have won big games against bigger schools like Texas, Baylor, Oklahoma, whatever. But in terms of defenses they're playing, they're not actually facing good defensive competition in that conference. So I thought it was just it would be interesting to stack up Wilson's schedule against a quarterback from the Big 12 who turned out to be successful um, just to look at the comparison between you know a mid-major guy in Wilson versus a power five guy in Mahomes uh, and display how you know guys from big conferences they can play soft schedules sometimes if the dominoes fall that way and also guys like Wilson in this case can play a schedule that even though you assume it's not that strong because he's playing at BYU they're independent they have the schedule that isn't that great all these teams that are not competing for championships anytime soon he still played some pretty good teams and defenses specifically in 2020 so um, football outsiders has a stat called fei which is pretty much like the college version of dvoa Uh, it just adjusts every team's overall efficiency and true level of productivity based on schedule and adjust it for schedule so you can evaluate all teams on the same plane uh, because obviously schedule is a big part of college football everyone plays a much different schedule so this accounts for that Uh, so looking at will the defenses that wilson faced in 2020 versus Mahomes in 2016, the average ranking of the defenses that Zach Wilson faced out of 130 FPS teams was 62nd, so slightly better than average, but right around um, countrywide average. Mahomes in 2016, 67th, so actually a little bit worse on average than the defenses that Zach Wilson faced. Um, So it it was just interesting to put them next to each other and just sort of display that, you know, sometimes big... Uh, big school quarterbacks can play schedules that aren't that aren't as hard as you would think because the defenses really aren't that good. And also guys like Wilson can play some tough defenses for Wilson in particular, uh, coastal Carolina had the number 16 defense in the country. Um, San Diego state had the sixth best defense in the country based on uh, football outsiders, FEI. And in terms of the coastal game, Wilson did put up his worst box score numbers in that one, but he played really good. He had over 100 yards worth of drops. He rushed for over 60 yards, um, and he still had the best performance of any quarterback that Coastal faced this year. Obviously not great slave quarterbacks, but nevertheless. And then San Diego State, three touchdowns, no picks, 303 yards against a team that had the sixth-ranked defense in terms of efficiency in the country. So uh, I do think the schedule argument is definitely – it should be a factor for Wilson for sure, Um, but it's definitely overblown. It's not like he's playing – absolute 
garbage competition. That's definitely not the case. And it's also, even if he was, it's not as if we haven't seen guys be successful coming from uh, college playing schedules like that. Josh Allen, Carson Wentz, you can go all throughout NFL history with non-Power 5 quarterbacks. Um, so it's it's definitely an, a very interesting part of this discussion with Zach Wilson. Uh, and we sh- should all just be balanced with it. Yes, take it into account. He was not playing an SEC schedule or a Big Ten schedule, but he also wasn't playing completely cakewalk teams. One thing that we've heard about is how good Wilson is under pressure. I saw a stat from PFF that Wilson had zero interceptable passes when being pressured, which is remarkable. And I put that out there and somebody responded by saying that should be a red flag because he's unlikely to repeat that, which is weird. That's like saying, yeah, this guy did something really, really good, but we shouldn't pay attention to that because it's possibly an outlier rather than saying, well, we watched the tape and actually he was really good when he was under pressure. The rest of his numbers under pressure seem to back up that it probably wasn't an outlier. Yeah, that's not really how outliers work. Mm-hmm. I mean, outliers are more just like a like a Trey Hendrickson sacks mm-hmm. sort of thing. Like Trey Hendrickson ranking second in the league in sacks. That's not going to happen again. He was really good, but you look at his production in terms of pressures and QB hits and stuff, he's not going to replicate that. But in terms of Zach Wilson not throwing any interceptable passes under pressure, that's just a flat-out skill. He's earning that. It would be different if maybe he threw zero real interceptions and he actually had – like five interceptions dropped, then you're talking about an outlier because he should have had more interceptions, but he didn't. So he's probably going to regress, but this is a contextualized thing. So he didn't throw any interceptable passes. So there's no reason to think that regressed to the mean. So I do think that is an incorrect comment, but yeah, his under pressure numbers are pretty encouraging because yes, he didn't face it a lot. And that is concerning because he only took pressure 22% of the time last year, eighth lowest in the entire country. So that's concerning. He didn't face it a lot, and he's definitely going to be taking more pressure than that in the NFL. Even if he has a good offensive line, he's going to be getting more pressure than that. Um, so that's concerning. But when he was pressured, he did a pretty good job. His PFF passing grade, eighth best in the country. His passer rating, 98.5, 12th best in the country on under-pressure passes. His accuracy did slide a little bit. He's 55th in adjusted completion percentage under pressure, 62%. That's out of 140 guys, so it's still top third, but you know, way lower than where he is in most, in most of these numbers. Um, so that's a little concerning, but he, the, the fact that he took care of the ball is why he ranks so high in those under pressure numbers, zero interceptable passes based on PFFs tracking. Uh, I think he had one real interception, but it was tipped. So again, like that's not a pass you would deem interceptable. It's just un- unlucky that it ends up getting picked off. Um, but no interceptable passes. So the ball security under pressure is a big part of what he did. And overall, the productivity was solid. You definitely want to see how he holds up when he has to face pressure half the time, like Sam Darnold was in many of his games as a Jet. But um, the fact that he did hold up pretty well when he was pressured is encouraging. But again, it is a completely different animal because pressure adds up during a game. It's not as black and white as, okay, what do you do when you're not pressured? What do you do when you are pressured? Um, When you're getting pressured a lot in one game, it just sort of has a mental impact to where you start to see ghosts like Sam Darnold did. And you start to rush the ball out of clean pockets and have happy feet because you're expecting the pressure to come. So the effects last, even if the pressure isn't there on a given play, if it's coming more frequently, it affects the entire game. So it's going to be a much different animal for him in the league. He's going to take a lot more pressure than he did there. 
but we can be encouraged that when he was pressured, he did a pretty good job still. Michael, you mentioned that he rushed for 60 yards against Coastal Carolina, and that's an underrated part of his game. Now, he's not Justin Fields. He's certainly not Trey Lance in the rushing department. However, it is something that he's very capable of doing. They can do some RPO concepts with him as well. So his athleticism and his ability to use his legs, certainly a positive attribute for Zach Wilson. Yeah, this is a part of his game that doesn't get talked about a lot. Um, No one's saying he's Justin Fields or Josh Allen or anything like that, but he's not Mac Jones either. He can move. He can move the ball with his legs. He had 10 touchdowns last year, 353 yards when you take out the sacks. Um, So it's an effective part of his game. And most of that was designed. He had 66 rushing attempts, taking out sacks, and only 16 of them were scrambles on passing plays. So 50 of them were on design plays, you know, not necessarily for him, but including options, stuff like that. So he can definitely be a part of your run game. I I think sort of to a Sam Darnold kind of level, the way uh, the frequency Darnold was used, like Darnold, for example, like, again, he's not Josh Allen, but now and then, especially in the red zone, you can run a read option for him. And, you know, he can make a good decision and he could, you know, run over a guy or get the tough yards that you need. Um, Darnold's rushing numbers with the Jets, he had 18 rushing yards a game this past season, two touchdowns, three attempts per game. Like, I think Zach Wilson can do that in the NFL. It's nothing crazy, but I think that's better than average. And I think that's about what Zach Wilson can do. So, um, again, he's, and everyone knows this, he's not a great rusher, but he can be a part of your run game. I think you can involve him and establish that as a threat. Earlier, Michael, we talked about how under pressure Zach Wilson threw zero interceptable passes, but in general, his ball security was excellent, whether being pressured or not being pressured. The interception rate was very low. The fumble rate, very low. That's a huge change from Sam Darnold, who even at USC had big problems with ball security, a lot of interceptions, a lot of fumbles. He didn't fumble as much once he got to the NFL, but still a lot of interceptions, You would hope that Zach Wilson continues that trend from college. As we said, it was one of Sam Darnold's worst attributes. And if Wilson can avoid it, it'll go a long way towards him succeeding here. Yeah, ball security is a huge plus. With Wilson, obviously only three picks this year in terms of the interceptable passes or the turnover-worthy plays that PFF tracks. Only he had one of those, only four of those total on the season, 1% of his passing dropbacks, the lowest rate in the FBS among quarterbacks with at least 200 dropbacks. So that's tremendous. Uh, Obviously, again, completely different animal. And there are throws on tape that could have been intercepted in the NFL. There's one that immediately comes to mind, a deep shot he had against UCF in his last game uh, down the right sideline that is on all the highlight reels, but it's a little bit low and inside. And like, if that's Tredavious White, Xavier Howard, defending that throw maybe they get their head around a little bit quicker and they deflect it or pick it off so there are throws like that for sure he throws a lot of jump balls I think he is he really does seem like a guy who's going to throw a good amount of interceptions as a rookie but the fact that his ball security in college was really good is is very promising he showed you that he can keep the ball safe we'll see how that translates to the league because again it's just a much different animal in terms of the competition you're facing regardless of what conference you're in even if you play in the sec it's still a big jump up to the nfl um so it's going to be a leap and i think playing the way he does he is going to turn the ball over a lot early but the fact that he comes into the nfl already showing that 
he can play an aggressive style of football and still keep the ball safe is extremely promising. And also the fumbles, he only had three of them uh, this past season and only four the year before that. So that, that's not a ridiculous number at all. That's well above average in terms of fumbles or better than average. So ball security is a really big plus with Wilson. It'll be interesting to see uh, if he can ever get to this sort of level in the NFL, keeping like, because this is like Aaron Rodgers level ball security, three picks and three fumbles in a season. So it'll be tough for him to keep this up. I think he's going to start out turning over a lot, but down the line, once he settles in, uh, Wilson has shown up, shown us that he can play aggressive football and still keep the ball safe. Michael, we've kept it almost entirely positive so far. So we've got to be fair and we got to talk about some of the concerns here. And the first one on the list is the fact that people will say Zach Wilson was a one-year wonder. Now, I don't think that's entirely accurate because I do think that he was very good his freshman year. And his sophomore year, as I've explained many times, he had surgery to fix a torn labrum. He couldn't throw the ball 15 yards on a fly two weeks before organized football activities started. And then a couple of weeks into the season, he had to have surgery on his hand. He was rushed back because the two other quarterbacks on the roster ended up getting hurt. And I was told by Jerome Jordan, who covers BYU for BYU TV, that Wilson couldn't grip the ball properly, but did what he could to help the team. So his sophomore season, to me, is not something that's super concerning, simply because there were so many mitigating factors. And then, of course, you think about the fact that you want a quarterback who's on the rise. So I don't really mind it so much if he showed some of those traits then had that dip because of the physical issues, and then got right back to where he was and elevated himself. You want to see a quarterback that continues to improve rather than somebody who's starting to level off. He peaked at the right time, I suppose, in terms of college football, but there are obvious reasons why he had struggles in his previous season as a sophomore. But still, it's fair to wonder, is he the guy that we saw in 2020? Was everything going on around the coronavirus something that elevated him a little too much? I personally am not that concerned about it, but I can't completely dismiss it because it is fair to ask the question. Yeah, exactly. There are plenty of legitimate reasons for why it took him until his third year to break out, why he didn't put up the most amazing numbers his first two seasons. But at, at the same time, it's worth just taking it into account uh, because, you know, it's just a full body of work that you want to look at. And of course, with evaluating any college player, the most recent season is the most important because there's so much progression in college football from, you know, when they come in as freshmen to th their final season before getting to the NFL. Um, so there are like, you, as you laid out, there are plenty of legitimate reasons for why he wasn't putting up amazing numbers first two seasons, but still worth looking at. And that's really the only way you can criticize him because this past season in terms of his production, there's, like we went over, we talked about almost every specific facet of the position and he was great at all of them. So you can't really criticize this season at all, but looking at his first two seasons, the production definitely wasn't as great. And looking at 2019, his sophomore year, um, you mentioned all the injuries and everything, and that clearly affected his play. He was mediocre to below average in most numbers, 69th in QBR, 62nd in PFFs passing grade and 82nd an overall adjusted completion percentage turned the ball over or was not as good at securing the football uh, 4% turnover worthy play rate. That was 61st out of 147 quarterbacks. So a little bit more frequent than average um, and even specific aspects of his game where that turned out to be signature 
parts of what he brought to the table in 2020. He wasn't as good at passer rating under pressure, 136. Uh, deep passing accuracy, 96. Play action passer rating, 120th. So um, he was not, from a production standpoint, close to the same player in 2019 as 2020. But as you said, plenty of legitimate excuses. And when you turn on the film, there really are, especially when he was healthier, plenty of examples of him looking very much like the same quarterback he was in 2020. So I do think this is an example of the film and numbers not really aligning all that much, even though these are more specific advanced numbers, Um, but it's still worth taking into account. And, you know, there are some one year wonders in recent history that we can compare to Joe Burrows, obviously a huge one from last year, still too early to uh, see how he's going to play out in the NFL. Uh, Cam Newton was successful as one year wonder. Uh, I I would call his career successful, Um, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. But look, just when you look at his 2020 season, you know, forget about anything that happened the first two years. In 2020, he brought everything together. All the flashes he had shown um, over those first two years, he, he stayed healthy and he showed those flashes and maintained them at a constant basis in every game throughout the entire season and had one of the best quarterbacking seasons in recent memory for college football, really. So, um it is definitely worth taking into account those first couple of seasons, how he wasn't as great, how he was a late breakout, but at the same time, the breakout was so good that it almost doesn't matter, but we'll see. We'll see how things play out. And if he does turn out to be more in between the early career version and the 2020 version, or if he is just the 2020 guy. Final concern, and this is something that's also been brought up, is that Wilson had a really good support system, but mostly on the offensive line. We did see Brady Christensen get picked on day two of the 2021 NFL Draft. I wouldn't really go too crazy about Dax Milne. He was a good college receiver, but I don't know that I would say that he was some incredible weapon along the lines of anything that Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, or Mac Jones had. Certainly Mac Jones with two receivers that went in the top 10. Yet, if you look at the offensive line, they were very highly graded both in pass protection and in run blocking. So there's something to think about there. Thankfully, the Jets made some investment on the offensive line by getting Elijah Vera Tucker at number 14 and trading up. So that'll help. But it is fair to be curious whether Wilson will have the same kind of success if he's not behind a really stellar offensive line. Yeah, the support is something worth taking into account because um, even though he did play at BYU and you know the talent isn't Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State level, um, it was still relative to the competition. Uh, they, they dominated the teams they played, I think is the best way to put it. Obviously, they're not as talented as the guys in those bigger conferences, but against the teams they were playing, they were dominating them on a weekly basis. So BYU's offense as a team had the eighth best pass blocking grade at PFF in the country and the second best receiving grade, um, which includes all of the every position, how well they catch the ball and perform as receivers. Um, so that's worth taking into account. They played pretty good football. They made a lot of contested catches for them. The clean pockets were obvious. They were there very frequently uh, and they ran the ball pretty well too. So uh, it, it's worth taking all that into account, but at the same time, there it's it's worth also noting that BYU has not always been this they became an elite offense this season mostly because Wilson just elevated them to that level 
Um, so, you know, we'll see in down the line whether it, which way this relationship goes. Was BYU really just that talented in lifting Zach Wilson up? Or is Zach Wilson the reason that BYU had its best season in many, many years? Because, you know, two guys got drafted this year from their offense outside of Wilson and Christensen and Milne. And they had only had one offensive guy get drafted in the last 11 drafts. So that's a humongous leap forward. And we'll see whether that was just those uh, a really good cast helping Wilson or the other way around. But I, I would definitely bet that it was Wilson lifting them up just because, you know, you can look at the production all you want. But when you watch the games, he really was doing outstanding stuff that, you know, legitimate put the team on your back sort of throws to help everyone look better. Um, and just demanding respect that changed the way that teams approach playing them. So uh, it it's it's worth t- taking into account the talent that he's playing with um, and how that talent stacked up against the teams they're playing against. But at the same time, just the individual performance level was good enough to where it sort of transcended that. It's not like he was relying on it. He just sort of went hand in hand with it and maximized the talent that he was playing with. Um, because there are other guys in this class, Mac Jones, most uh, most notably, who very much were just feeding off of their talent and throwing to wide open top 10 pick receivers and, you know, making one read throws behind an offensive line that had three draft picks on it. So and, and also it was feeding off the run game of the first running back drafted in this draft. There are examples of guys like that who are mostly just feeding off of that talent. But Zach Wilson was just, you know, Obviously, they helped him produce more, but he was doing the best he could to maximize what they do. Overall, if you're looking at the statistics on Zach Wilson, there's some questions, but there's way more positives than there are negatives. And that's why Jets fans should be very excited right now about their new quarterback. Michael Nania, co-founder and resident stat geek over at JetsXFactor.com. Thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. We'll do another Chronicles of Nanny next week where we'll break down some more of the Jets draft picks from this past week. But, of course, we had to start with the big kahuna, Zach Wilson, the new quarterback at a BYU. You've got a lot of stuff going on right now over at Jets X Factor. So what's cooking over there? Yeah, there will be plenty of coverage on all the rookies. I've been going player by player doing extremely in-depth uh, statistical scouting reports of every single guy's strengths, weaknesses, role, usage um, for all the players. I've already done the offensive guys, and I'm going to be getting into the defense now over the next few weeks. Um, the film breakdowns, Joe Blewett's been on it, and our all our whole entire team of guys, Robbie Sabo's getting into it now too. Um, plenty of film and numbers on every single uh, draft pick and also some of the most notable undrafted free agents. And they did make a few signings specifically on offense, uh, the offensive line and Yaboa at tight end that are pretty interesting. So we'll be looking at those as well. Make sure that you check that out. And also that you're following Michael on Twitter at Michael underscore Nania and check out everything that we're doing at playlikeajet.com as well. Clayton Smarslock's got an article up right now about Wave number three or four, I lose track of what wave we're in right now, free agency, but the guys that are still available that could be useful to the Jets that they should look into. Of course, we all know that number one on that list is Steven Nelson, so hopefully they make a move there. Check out our YouTube channel too. If you haven't subscribed yet, you're missing out. We've got some great videos up there. Luke Grant's got some cut-ups of two of the Jets' newest draft picks, Michael Carter, the running back out of UNC, and Elijah Moore, the wide receiver out of Ole Miss. Also got some Zach Wilson stuff that he put up a couple of months ago that now you can watch 
and be much happier with even if you didn't want Wilson. You might have preferred Fields, Mac Jones, or Trey Lance, but now that you know Wilson's here, you might as well watch some of the videos and get to know some of his best traits. So that's up there right now on our YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe. And if you haven't given us a five-star review on the podcast yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts and content, you know where to go. That's Play Like a Jet Digital and PlayLikeAJet.com. 